You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. Hey, whoa, everybody. This is Dominic D'Angelo of Several Outlets. I'm mostly inside the ropes now, but here I am at Ad-Free Shows, too, and I'm on Premier Streaming Network. But I am here today with Mr. Rob Van Dam himself for episode six, officially, unofficially, uh, of One of a Kind. Rob, dude, it's been a good run so far. Uh, welcome back to your show, man. Hey, thanks, Dom. I like that. Welcome back to my show. It's our show, dude. Oh, Didn't do it without you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, I know you're doing, you're doing a lot, you know, putting all these, sending all these episodes to YouTube, Chris. And uh, man, we're talking about doing a live show pretty soon. You know, I told, I told the fans on my YouTube page when I got 25,000 subscribers, I would, uh, I would do a live show. And that was a long time ago when I thought it was going to move real fast. Yeah. Climbed up real slow and hasn't really been in the front of my mind, but now I've passed it. Now we got uh, it, man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and there's a few reasons anyway coming together to do a live show. So hopefully, uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe even before this comes out, I don't know. I know. Pretty soon, sooner yeah. than later, actually. Uh, Got a lot we, of guests in mind too. If we want to do like a third party, you know, have a guest on the live shows. Um, I, I have a few in mind that haven't been doing other people's shows and and that are um, you know important, relevant to the uh, RVD world. Hell yeah. And you know, it's, um, and you always cool kind of perspective and stuff like that when you get, yeah, it's different elements and people from different, you know, genres or whatever too. And guys, you can check that up at rvdpod.com. That's the YouTube channel. So hit it up, subscribe, like comment, comment at, that's where I get a lot of the feedback, which I'll be reading today. And a lot of the ask RVDs too. So, uh, yeah, definitely tune into that. YouTube Chris does a great job. He's kicking ass on there. So props to him too. So it's a definitely effort here. <laughs> Shout out to YouTube, Chris. Yep, absolutely. All, All right. right. Speaking of Twitter, Rob, you've had quite the uh, past couple of days on there, huh? <laughs> you been keeping up with that? I've been keeping up with it. Um, I think <laughs> I did. I do the screenshot of the one tweet you made. Yes, I think I did. Is this it here? Yes. This is where you started at here. Uh, for the intelligent people in the room, is it ironic that the same people you tell you guns don't kill people, people do? Also tell you drugs are bad, and wow, you got quite the uh, eclectic mix of reception there for that. You know, the conversation is still going. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it is, and uh, a lot of followers think that I'm wasting my time, getting frustrated at the impossible blockheads that just—they're so close-minded. 
that there's no room to take any information. And that does frustrate me, but, but I don't really get that frustrated. You know, like, like I always say, anybody who reads any of my posts in an angry voice is, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, come on. But, um, but you know, I do. I speak for the exception. That's why this show was one of a kind. I I hope that everyone will notice in themselves that they're an exception to the status quo because the regular mundane status quo that's not a, a a real high place in life to strive for. And if that's if that's your goal and you're comfortable, that's okay. But we're going to be talking about you because that means you're a basic thinker. And that you're not going to understand a lot of our uh, of our conversations, you know. A lot of people didn't. It seemed with. with I can't believe that's all it said. I mean, you 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 just put it up there. That's all I said. Yep. And I totally. I mean, I know that a lot of people are really thick headed, but I really totally expected people to understand the comparison. I really did. I really thought. They were going to get it, and they were say guns and drugs. Those are both inanimate objects. They both get blamed for a lot of deaths. Neither one of them can do anything by themselves. That's a good comparison. Yeah, they both require some bad judgment or some uh, dangerous handling of either one to cause harm. I really thought everybody would get that. Like, how could you not? How? I'm so amazed at at the uh, assumptions people would make. They start going off about left wing. What? Oh, yeah. What? Left wing or, or right wing or, or it has oh, nothing to do with any of that. The stupidest, the stupidest tweet that I read all day, <laughs> this dude said, well, it's quite obvious you were talking about marijuana when oh, you I said that. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was the dumbest out of all of them. And... Uh, <laughs> And um, I, I just can't believe, like, what information is there to assume that we were talking about weed except for its RVD, right? right. Its RVD must be talking about weed. Otherwise, it made no sense whatsoever. But, yeah, man, they, they, re, they always, uh, those people restore my faith and my beliefs that uh, most people are um, challenged. A little challenged. bit uh, baseline, if you will. <laughs> They are, and, and you know, I speak to the exception. A lot of people are going to be offended. I even, I even said this. You might have seen this afterward. I put a post up and said, uh, "Many people are idiots." Now let's see who's offended. I, I put, I put that think, in the notes. <laughs> I was going to. You would think that people would get that as a joke, right? And say, "Well, if I, if I raise my hand and say I'm offended, I'm saying I'm an idiot." Yeah, you're absolutely like, "Hey, man, Rob, what the fuck?" Don't get it. I still have people like that, you know, like that come after me. Like, oh, okay, you're Mr. Perfect, huh? It's, oh, my God. <laughs> well, but, Ryback know, tweeted that with Feed Me Moron, so. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite uh, reply to you, what you said to somebody, somebody made the, you know, was the basic thinking kind of the mentality of it all. And it was like something like about like, oh, drugs, I won't do drugs or, you know, I'll just do like, you know, but a gun or whatever said something to that effect. You're like, so you just never have taken any over-the-counter medication. Anytime you get sick, it's just OJ. <laughs> that me. That's that's how ignorant and close-minded people are, though. Someone's saying, well, if someone's talking about drugs, they mean meth or heroin or cocaine. What? In what world? You know? I mean, that's what Nancy Reagan taught me when I was like in fourth grade or something. Just say no to all drugs. And even then I knew it sounded stupid, but I've 
I mean, but since then, like to still go back to that, to the 80s, when it's like, oh, drugs are bad, when in fact, you can probably, you know, how, any of these guys, I'd like to ask them, how many, how many illicit drugs can you name out of the hundreds that are in your household? You know, but oh, anyway, anyway, people are so close-minded and they, they're comfortable that way. You know, I call it proud ignorance because they go out of their way to open their mouth and let people know how ignorant they are. And, uh, hey, that's all right. Just expect to be called out on it. Don't expect to have a conversation and, expect, and find other people that are going to be as close-minded as you to understand why you can't see the bigger picture. I'm trying to help. That's <laughs> all, you know. And then, and then this... Um, after I, you know, that one dude that I wrote, um, you're not even making sense. It was obvious you were talking about weed. Now you're talking about pharmaceuticals. Dang, bro. And I wrote back, dang, bro, you're stupid. Then here's this guy. Here's this guy. That'll write, that'll write and say, you know, instead of calling somebody stupid, here's what you ought to do to, you know, explain yourself. Thank you. Thank you, random person, for following me to give me life advice. <laughs> I wish more... I wish more substandard thinkers would give me life advice so that I could perhaps maybe put myself on the right path. Imagine going to Twitter and seeking advice. That's like, sometimes that's like, you can get a mix of. Hey, everyone's got a right to their opinion. I appreciate that. But um, I don't talk about what I don't know. Right. And, you know, um, everyone else just assumes and, uh, it's crazy. You know, you probably saw that that one girl said that uh, something about me and Dreamer uh, drugging girls, right. H-bomb, and like, what? Like, how could you, like, like that was like so far. Sometimes. It's just it, like was, it was just like so crazy, and it's like, how would you even assume that, you know, but I, I've said this before on this show, and I'll tell all of you fans that hate how happy I am with myself, if you hate the arrogance of me knowing that I'm right when I actually say stuff, otherwise I keep it to myself, um, I'm uncancelable. I challenge you. Try to cancel me. You can't. The reason why? Because I'm impeccable with my words. I don't say stupid, cancelable stuff. I don't do idiotic stuff. Like a lot of us make, you know, hey, we all make mistakes sometimes, but to uh, to to stand by and double down and profess and, and insist that everyone everyone demand that everybody knows how stupid you are or how closed-minded you are, how unwilling to take in more knowledge and see the bigger picture you are. Sorry, bro, but that's not going to gain a lot of respect in my world. That's all. No. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just you know you get so many people just think to like their limits and they don't like want to take a step and look at outside of it all. It's, Oh my God. Twitter exemplifies that in so many ways. <laughs> so, Hey, we, we had some good feedback happening this week. Um, a diverse set of stuff. Um, this is on YouTube. Roland Curtis from YouTube said, I'm glad that RVD is part of the championship lineage. This is in reference to you winning at one night stand of the late Rogers, San Martino, Randy Savage, warrior slaughter, Ric Flair, Bret Hart, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Those are their names he chooses. But how, I kind of wanted to follow up on that. How does it kind of feel to be a part of that lineage with, when you won that title and everything like that? No, you're part of that long line of legends in history, and you're one of those. It's 
very cool when you put it that way. But I mean, I'm out of perspective since um, it's my job and it's what I do for a living. And I know how it works, you know, and like, uh, you know, you, you can put me up there with Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, The Rock, and you can say that we're all on your Mount Rushmore. But there's a big difference in the bank accounts of all those guys that you just named. <laughs> and on the business end of it, I mean, I can't help but look at it that way, um, at least partially. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And then also the competitive part of me has to look at who else has had the belt like since. Now everyone that has the belt is going to devaluize it in, 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 in my competitive heart, you know, unless it's somebody that's another like, legend or you know there's there's so many different weird weird ways to look at it so like we talked about last week it's the image you know and what rvd's image is to the fans if they hold me up there in that high regard then that's awesome and and for me yeah that's something they they, they can't take away from me you know right yeah no it's it's very cool you actually mentioned it that way because yeah like the name of the game of wrestling is to make money you know what i mean and so like that's like what you got to think about and you factor that in for sure <laughs> so it's kind of it's very neat to have that perspective yeah fans don't think of it that way you know it's it, they just hey i mean i get to ask this vague question so many times um would you ever go to AEW? right <laughs> like uh is that the whole sentence you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah or there's a little bit more to that needs to be there <laughs> <laughs> um Glad, well, I'm trying to fit Glad Emmett uh, MMOT 300. I tried my best, man. Uh, on YouTube, he says, I think I've seen the camera fall like three times, and every time I super love RVD's reaction. God damn it. With a lot of laugh faces on <laughs> that, uh, that was the sarcasm uh, episode. I can't yeah. say, Yay, I dropped it again. Yay, it fell again. That's awesome. That's fantastic. That's the way we handle. That's the way we handle things in the Van Dam fam. That's how to do it, man. Yeah. One Winged Crow on YouTube. He's, this is in reference to Punk and Tess. So he's like, plenty of people also thought Doctor Death Steve Williams was going to win Brawl for All, and then the Bart Gun was a little more than Cannon Father in that tournament. You just don't know with some of that stuff out. And like, talk about Joey Styles and everything. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Great, um, great example of you. You never know. And uh, so many people are uncomfortable with not knowing. And that's the real point. And that's where people have to check themselves. See if you're one of these people that you can't just admit there's stuff you don't know, but there's way more you don't know than you do know. Even if you think you know somebody, great. Okay, do you know the last thing they ate? Do you know what they think about when they look up in the air and see a bird? Do you know, you know, like what they're thinking about? Do you, there's so much you know what they're wearing, whatever, what kind of mood they're in. But there's people are so uncomfortable with that. Like the, a, as an example, just, you know, I do a lot of studying. I, I, I've been quiet and I studied people and uh, that's what I do. And um, that's going to be the, it's going to be a repeated uh, factor in the show, uh, the show tonight. Cause we're talking about a lot of, uh, we got a similar vibe, I think already at the beginning that I think is going to carry us all the way through the end. But um Anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Studying people. Um, studying people and just not knowing about like how. how I wanted to say this. I wanted to say this. So, so this girl on Twitter, yeah, uh, everyone tore into her, so I don't have to too bad. Um, but she said, I wish, you know, I, 
sometimes I close my eyes and pretend I didn't hear or didn't, yeah, didn't hear Tommy Dreamer bragging about you and him H-bombing girls back in the day, which of course never happened. You pick two guys that never, you know, and, and even putting a drug in Tommy's hand, that's like an oxymoron. I can't even imagine. Like what? <laughs> but, um, but anyway, just because I know the way basic thinkers work, like then, then some of them will jump up. And then uh, there's this comment that, that follows up with some of them. Hey, you know, he, he did stand by and do nothing, but that's another, that's more assuming. And you know why? Because they don't know, but they have to know something. Yeah. And so right now, right now, while they're hearing me, they want to hear the excuse. Okay. Then, then tell us then, tell us that what was it then? And like, they want the answer so bad that they'll be like, well, then I know it was at least this or this or this. It's so annoying that people are like that. They fill in the blanks of what they don't know with assumptions because they cannot stand feeling like, like they don't know. Right. They want to contribute something or they want to have their opinion and, and be heard. And like, you know, on Twitter, that's just the platform for everybody to speak their mind. And, you know, the good and the bad goes with that. Again, you know, hopefully like everyone else. So I'm hoping that some people will learn from me dealing with people that are helpless. Like some people, they're not going to, they're not going to open up their closed mind enough to learn anything. They're too hopeless by their own intentions. You know what I mean? But my hope is that someone reading that will say like, hey, he's got a good point. You know, he stopped me just short of being that idiot. You know, right, I'm right. Gonna, I'm gonna apply this to my life. That's why I do it. You know what? It's like you said before, too. It's just like anything. It takes practice. Like you think about it and it's just like awareness. Yeah. yeah awareness. Uh, and like if you're aware, that's step one. And then, you know, you just go yeah. from there. Mm -hmm. It's force of habit. Absolutely. So sure. well, obviously we're going to talk about wrestling. But uh, is there any wrestling that you watched over the past time since we last recorded? Anything that took you took note of or made note throughout the week? Anything stand out to you? I didn't watch any wrestling shows in the last week. Um, I just got home um, Monday from being on the road. Didn't watch it when I was visiting. Um, and or was that last week? No, what's today? <laughs> <You're>, today <laughs> so today's Wednesday. We recorded okay. Friday last week. Okay. Um, I guess all I've seen is just little clips like on Instagram, you know, yeah. um, some of that, like uh, some of it's really impressive. You know, I see some stuff and I'm like, whoa, holy crap. And there's other stuff where I'm like, man, these people, um, <laughs> they, 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 they use like, like I call it garbage wrestling, but I'm not a fan of the death matches. Sure. Yeah. If somebody can wrestle really good, and then have a death match. That's one thing. But most of what I see is wrestlers that aren't good at all that do stupid things and wait for each other to hit each other with light bulbs. And I wonder, like, let me ask you, do you imagine if I had a tube light bulb that I took down from the ceiling and cracked it over your head? Tell me honestly, do you think that would hurt really bad or no? I don't think initially, right? Like, I mean, because I've it, never been hit with one. Yeah, I've never been hit with one. I feel like, it's like a cookie sheet in, in the effect of where, you know, I would imagine 
it's probably not the worst thing. I, the dust would be horrible. The dust would be the worst aspect. Little pieces of glass that are going to get in my cuts and infect. Later on. Oh, all that shit is horrible. But I don't imagine, like, when you see the, the light bulb break. I mean, I've broken light bulbs in my hand before, like, uh, different size yeah, ones on accident. I, I don't imagine that's going to be, like, being knockout blow. I think it's just, you know, and I don't know. I've seen guys this week, a couple of days ago, two guys on their knees facing each other, and they each had, like, six light bulbs just took turns. Smash. Oh, smash. shit. I saw that. Yeah. No cell. Yeah. What's I don't know what that's about, and and that's just in my opinion. I as a wrestler um, that has gone the path that I have, you know, I, I look at that stuff as if it definitely draws certain fans, but um, it's not something that I give a lot of my personal strong support to. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, and to your point, like if you're like a good wrestler and you have good ma good matches, and then you incorporate some deathmatch stuff into it, it's kind of it makes more sense. But if you're just doing it to, it's a it's a turnoff for me. <laughs> it's like a turnoff for me. For, me too. Yeah, I don't know, but um, yeah. but I know it's a, it's its own world, you know. And it I know there's a there's a niche for it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm, for sure. Hey, yeah. speaking of niches, we're uh. We're following up here with uh, the alien uh, talk this week again. Um, Rob, tell me what you've heard first, and then I'll, I'll read some of the stuff that I happened to pick out. But um, I wanted, I was intrigued to, when you texted me about like what you kind of heard and all the stuff that you kind of seen. Like, yeah, yeah, so in case anybody missed it, you played a clip that was on my local news here in Las Vegas two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, two weeks uh, ago. Two uh, 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 someone called 911 said that a ship had or something had fallen out of the sky and crashed into their yard. And then there was like 10 feet non-human beings with big eyes that were looking at them that were in the backyard. The police went out there, found nothing. All the uh, people that really want to believe in aliens seem to come out of the woodworks like they normally do, you know, to try to add leg some legitimacy to it or, or looking for any credibility that might be there. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, everyone was kind of like, at least that I talked to, myself included, why didn't they take a picture of the big 10-foot dude? I mean, the phone's in your hand. You're on 911. Why not video something in the backyard? And then they said the news wasn't showing the backyard because it was private property. What? Yeah, yeah, when, right. That, that doesn't make sense at all. Uh, so... I, I felt like it kind of went away. And then a few days ago, all this stuff started coming up. And uh, it turns out the police gave some credibility so much to the to what the that family was saying that they put a camera on top of the house and they had the camera watching the backyard for a while. There was other cameras that picked up the noise of the crash and and. and <laughs> and that's just like a small part of it. There's a reason that the police are giving uh, credibility to it and a reason that um, a lot more attention is being put on it right now. I saw yesterday live in Congress, the Pentagon um, speaking to Congress about their, their super secret programs. They're called, and this is something, so, so there's, been a, there's been a guy, a whistleblower that, that came for, forward that worked uh, way high up in the Air Force. Um, 
Garsh is his name or something like that? Garsh or Garsh? Right? Some with a G. I was going to say yeah. Garsh. I don't want to fuck his name up. Um, yeah, I have it maybe here somewhere. Yeah, we could look. So Grush. Grush. Okay, so there's him. And um, and he's saying uh, that we, we've always had um, visitors when we haven't been alone. And he's saying that there's like, oh, like 120, 130 space uh, crafts or unidentified objects that we've collected, some with bodies. And the interviewer is saying, like, are you saying, you know, extra terrestrial species and he's saying i i don't know if it's from another dimension or what i'm not saying i know its origin and that sounds weird but i started like looking into a lot more of this and like the 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 ships that they have on film are able to travel using uh something possibly interdimensional um operations that we cannot understand with our understandings of life right now, the speed, the way that it moves from place to place. And it might have something to do with quantum physics where you can be at two places at the same time and fold a piece of paper in half and they connect instead of going all the way across. And it's really fascinating. I found out that this area, um, area, is it 51 or 15? It's 51. Uh, Do you know how that started? 1948, then something in a field, and then the military. Am I on the right track with that? Something yeah, like- yeah, I believe it was 47. But so a ship crashed. The Air Force put the the news out that it was a a spaceship made of material that they've never seen before. That was like metallic, but also flexible, like rubber. And then a, a little while later, they can they can they completely changed their story and just said it was an asteroid or something. But that first story got out and that's, I think that's where Roswell is um, in, in that desert in New Mexico where that, where that ship landed. And, uh, but it's amazing. I'm listening to all these very credible people, a lawyer and the doctor, uh, is it Greer? This guy has been. Sheer, um, sure. Isn't it Sheer? I think I, I saw that. I think it's Greer. You okay. might be right. Um, this is the guy, by the way, I think I told you I had an Uber driver that was telling me all about time travel and all about all this stuff. He said that he worked for Dr. Greer and told me to look Dr. Greer up. And, and I was watching him testify in court, by the way. And, and so anyway, the government, this is open now. The government has special black ops projects that they call um, unacknowledged unacknowledged secret access programs. Okay. And, 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 and and it's amazing because they're talking about in Congress now, the budgets that are going towards that and what's the money really going for. And um, it, it's possible that the presidents don't even have any access to these. Uh, it, but since Clinton, they've been following like uh, him helping it along, but it's just, there, there's so much that's coming out right now that, um, it's it's nonfiction though. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 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 amazing, uh, but it looks like 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 we're learning that the government's been keeping these uh, men in black secrets from us all along, which makes perfect sense to uh, um, you know to coordinate with anything you see like on ancient aliens, where we got our intelligence from and our prehistoric. Um, uh, tools and just every everything to to the actual um evolvement of uh, of the cells you know like like 
whether it's the uh, I was brought up on the creation theory, which turned to evolution that we all developed in, into what we are. But what we're doing now, I mean, we can take cells, stem cells, um, whatever, and, you know, we can create other people with them. And it's all stuff that they probably used to be able to do forever ago anyway and it's it's just, it's amazing though so so what i found out is all this came up the, the whistleblower and dr greer and con in uh in congress there was this guy a lawyer that was with uh dr greer and this this lawyer man he was there um with the uh, reagan uh contra hearings he was there like he named all these different uh his resume all these amazing things that that he's done and said you know that he was exposed to to all of this um, and he says that this is more important than any of that as far as um, just the national uh, defense and the betterment of the citizens of the United States. Like, it's it's pretty big deal that they keep this shit secret. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I, looking at it, too, uh, the quantum physics thing, it's almost that seems like more to me, like more logical in a lot of ways than, uh, oh, hey, so an alien's just come and landed here, you know, where it's just like just different dimensions kind of just i think a lot makes more sense you know where it's something that we can't really fathom you know right but it's yeah, which, which they've been working on that for forever you know um and, and they have they wanted that that big machine that was going to like split the atom you know to, right. to actually and i was thinking you know we might open up like a black hole or something right, so we might fuck something up real bad <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't for that. Or even no, like, I don't want to. I don't want to dabble in that kind of thing. I, I, you know. I think we did, though. I think we split the atom, didn't we? I don't. Um, I don't know. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. There's this huge machine they were showing. There's a lot of talk about it a couple of years ago. Um, but that it, it is, it is a a real thing, you know. And and we have some understanding of quantum physics enough to have books and classes about it. But definitely not enough to where we can uh, uh, explain its its properties and boundaries and replicate it. Uh, not yet that we know of, but they're probably doing that shit at Area Fifty One. Yep, yep. Lo and behold, that's probably probably know. Um, I saw. So I had a little article from News Nation. It said, and it said a Republican representative says lawmakers are planning a hearing on UFOs, which will tentatively be held sometime towards the end of July. And uh, it said uh, Representative Anna Paulina Luna of Florida told News Nation Wednesday that the hearing is likely going to be bipartisan led in the inner home state. And that comes with the David Grush guy, former member of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. He spoke to a journalist, Ross Colhart, about his time in Congress Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, which was recently renamed the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office or AARO. I can't believe I said all that. Yeah. <laughs> Grudge alleged in the interview that the UAP task force was refused access to a crash retrieval program. And he says these are retrieving non-human origin technical vehicles, call it a spacecraft, if you will, non-human exotic origin vehicles that have either landed or crashed, Grush said. This includes spacecraft from quite a number of other species, according to Grush. He also, he also said that the U.S. government has recovered these non-human crafts for decades. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. It really is. Yeah. And acknowledging the UAP, like now that that's fact and it's out and there's a, I, I don't want to misquote numbers. I thought I had like 3 billion or something ridiculous dollars towards it. And they were talking, they were talking in Congress. They brought out this meeting, this, uh, this treaty between us and in Russia where we both agreed some, something that they have different, uh, 
interpretations of that, that, that either might mean, hey, we're both studying space. Let's, uh, you know, if you see something that looks funny, you know, don't don't send a nuclear bomb or, or you know, and uh, and there's different interpretations of, of what evidence that that really is. But um, it's it's really amazing. And, and, and also what's amazing is I don't think most people know about this, you know, just no. like, yeah. It's all foreign to me. Like a lot, I mean, even on the side and peripherals and, you know, just the, the conventional stuff about aliens and stuff, I, I was aware of, but a lot of this stuff I wasn't like, so. Yeah. Can you imagine like, um, like in uh, Mars Attacks or something, like some alien dude comes forward on a, on a microphone, gives a press conference, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, my buddy Jim was saying, I was, I was uh, playing Xbox with him yesterday and we were talking about it and he was like, imagine if all they wanted to do is come in here and gamble. <laughs> like they're just gambling <laughs> aliens. <laughs> like that'd be a good time. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, Rob, I'm intrigued. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how all this kind of comes out and what we hear and and this all goes together, like I said, the same vibe. We were talking earlier about how people assume and everything. Um, I'm very comfortable with the fact that there's unknown. There's an unknown um, out there, whether it's a higher power, whether it's aliens watching us. I mean, we all sometimes feel like we're being watched or like there's someone else there or some some angle to the 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 notion that there's something else whether you think it's a ghost you know and or an angel that's watching you from a dead loved one all of that i will refer to as the unknown and it fascinates me i don't have to completely understand it to know that it's there right no not at all not at all and it's just it's a good mindset to have too because we t fuck we don't know we don't know anything so <laughs> very true i mean uh, you know, the same thing could be said with with certain organized religions as well because they they replace knowing something with faith and then um you know are you do you know that moses really parted the red sea yeah i know it in my heart how do you know that because it says so in the bible um that that's evidence how you know i mean eventually they gotta admit it's faith that takes the place right faith. of actual knowledge mm -hmm. and, and and you know whether faith is a good thing or a bad thing or, or whatever again um i can be okay with saying that faith is in the unknown mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely hey somebody that some uh, the, our spotlight this week, uh, people make a lot of assumptions on. Uh, it's uh, one of the arguably the biggest names uh, wrestling has had, and it's uh, Vince McMahon we're going to be focusing on today. All uh, right. You've Chris picked out. So, But before we get into the spotlight segment for this one, uh, we have a few follow-up questions with the Heyman segment that we did on our previous show uh, Chris wrote for us. It says, uh, some fans might be surprised to know that you actually wrestled Paul Heyman eight times in 2006. Every, every one of those matches were extreme rules matches. In fact, one of those matches actually took place in your hometown of Battle Creek, Michigan. What are your memories of that? <laughs> um, so the match was a gimmick match because I wrestled against the uh, Basham brothers. Uh huh. Yep. Doug and, and Danny, is it? Doug and Danny? Uh, yeah. I think it is. I think. I think mm. so. And they 
had masks on and they were, I think, Paul's security or something weird like that. Okay. For an angle. And so it was actually like me against those two. Like, from what I remember, I'm trying to get my hands on Paul the whole match and they're kicking the shit out of me, you know, and, um, and I'm, you know, giving it back and then grabbing Paul and this and that. And it was, it was like, uh, it, it was a fun match that was easy to highlight some of the, uh, and showcase some of what I like to show in a match, you know, um, but it was a gimmick match. You know, I remember coming back to Battle Creek uh, with it. And, you know, it, 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 it just it doesn't have the value of, you know, who are you wrestling? You know, uh, Paul Heyman, huh? You know, but um, everyone always wants to know who you're wrestling, even if they don't watch wrestling. You know what right. else they want to know? And this is annoying. And it works probably with anything in the entertainment business, because I, I hear the same thing when I'm doing stand up and I invite anybody. What time are you going up? <laughs> like they're so they're so damn busy they gotta like just sneak in there right before your turn and then leave afterwards or something but everybody says that i don't know why but it's always been that way you're in, when i'm in someone's town even when i was with wwe and got some tickets for some uh, people that live in denver or whatever they'd always be like hey well you know what time is your mass i don't know dude what <laughs> why you're not gonna watch the show, or go to the show. You'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I know every wrestler listening to this can relate to that too, though. Like I, I said, imagine. stand up. It's probably across the board with entertainment. You know, it's funny too because I don't think like that. Because uh, being a fan, like growing up as a kid and stuff like that, I'd be like, "Oh, I'm just going to the wrestling show and watching. I don't worry about like when people are going on or what. I'm gonna be there." Unless there's a reason, like maybe yeah. you're somewhere right before and you're thinking, wow, I'm going to be cutting it close. I hope they're not on the first or second match. Hey, uh, you know, when are you going to be on? You know, there's always, there there's, always exceptions. Yeah. there's always exceptions. That's a whole other episode. Absolutely. Um, so when you got somebody like Paul Heyman in the ring, obviously he's not a wrestler and stuff like that. But, like, and, but at this point in time, you know what you're doing, obviously a veteran and stuff. Like, is it tough for you to wrestle somebody like that? Or are you already like, all right, I know how I'm going to handle Paul. Or it could be anybody, like a Bill Alfonso or anybody to that effect. Or is it um, kind of new ground in certain ways with each person? I think it's circumstantial with everybody. Everyone's a little different. You know, the uh, obviously all of us that make a living in for, from wrestling speak a certain body language that's – got to be somewhat compatible but besides that there's a pretty big difference and uh when you grab someone that's a referee or a manager or anyone that's not a wrestler or even a shano mcmahon um there's a huge difference in in, in the amount of um everything you know like the amount of uh the, the give and take the uh the stiffness the resist the resistance the uh <laughs> the uh <laughs> The flow, you know, like it's just it, the whole uh, there's a different kind of uh, energy that's, you know, like even if you're wrestling someone that's been wrestling for two years, they're going to be a lot more like that than someone that's been wrestling 10 years or, or more. And it's just so it just makes sense, you know, so um, it's not like I'm going to do a spot with Paul where I'm going to, you know, throw him into the ropes. <laughs> he dropped <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. And I don't remember that much. I think I put him through a table 
frog splash to him. Maybe both in the same move. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, most of the match was uh, me being cut off by those guys while I'm trying to get him. And that whole chase, you know, it was uh, – I didn't know it was eight times, but um, it was fun. Yeah, that's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. Um, did they have any consideration of you like, hey, let's uh, you're working so well with Paul here that we kind of want to put you on a pay-per-view or anything with him or anything to that effect? Uh, I mean, this was ECW. This was Paul. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. No, Paul didn't want to work a pay-per-view. Yeah, he was like, no, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's see here. Okay, here we go. So we talked about on the show a few times about how in April you wrestled in Pittsburgh. On May 8th, 2006, in Pittsburgh, you were in a handicap match where you wrestled Umaga, Shane McMahon, and at the time, the ECW world champion, Vince McMahon. So you actually got to wrestle both him and Vince McMahon. Speaking of Vince, he's our spotlight segment. Yes. So, like, when did you first meet Vince? Was this when you went to WAF for the first time there? Dude, I love how this vibe is just flowing. Wasn't someone just talking about wrestling, Shana? Yeah, right? How about that? <laughs> um, and you don't get the notes. Just so you know, everybody knows. You don't get the <laughs> This was cool for me, though. Um, you know, it, it made me feel like I was in an important position if I have a match, you know, with, with Vince uh, and, and Shano. And uh, the fact that Umaga was in there, um, so there could be, you know, an actual wrestler besides what Shano could do. Um, it made it was it was cool because, I mean, the odds were so much against me that it's like, Hey, no matter what I do, what can anybody say? You know, hey, you got your ass kicked. Well, come on, dude. There's like three of them. But, um, and, and, you know, just being able to work an angle um, that would be on the level to where Vince would be getting in the ring and stuff, that made me feel appreciated. You know, as I've discussed, sometimes I didn't feel so appreciated. Went through. And also, I think this might have been like a bit of a punishment for me, if I remember right. I'm not sure what for but it felt like it was this was this before or after uh my bus when i dropped the championship let me see so this was on may 8th 2006 and this took place in pittsburgh so i'm trying to think when you yeah june was the uh pay-per-view i think june was so. when it, okay so that. okay so it was before that so it was a uh, kind of in build i guess to you when the title almost maybe i was felt like i was being punished just for loving ECW so much, you know, because when they brought it back, you know, I, I mean, they couldn't have wanted all of us to really prefer ECW. That, You know what I mean? Like, that's not too good for the ego, but we did. The wrestlers and the fans, a lot of the fans, you know, a lot of us, we just, uh, we loved that style, um, that whatever it was that we all loved about it. Um, it was something that never has died inside of us no. fans and wrestlers from ecw it, it was a great time in, in all of our lives and um you know i i think like uh they'll be we got a lot of resistance bringing ecw back you know what i mean when i say we i mean paul was the one in the office tommy might have been in the office sometimes during that i'm really not sure but then, you know, I would always meet with Paul afterwards and we'd always talk about stuff. And, you know, we, we felt like we were the, the, the nucleus of the team of uh, 
go ECW plus whatever East, whatever writers were marks for ECW. I wouldn't, you know, Paul had that relationship, you know, so he would know who was on his side and stuff. But I also know that a lot of the agents were against it. Like, uh, you know, really, you want to do that, you know? And, and so, um, so I felt like being so excited about having ECW and, and it, and it coming back and stuff. I, I kind of felt like maybe at the time, if I remember right, it seems like the match, partially felt like it might've been like a punishment for, uh, for, I don't know. It's not like a lack of loyalty, but just, I don't know. I mean, was like there enthusiasm but, for it and over enthusiasm? I think so. I think yeah. so. But, um, you know, maybe I did something else that I can't remember that I was punished for, but didn't, uh, did Vince have the championship belt during that match? Too? Yes, he did. He was the ECW champ at the time. So that, you know, that, and then, uh, <laughs> and then having me wrestle three guys against squash out there, I would think definitely at least um, for the show purpose would be to punish RVD to say, hey, screw ECW. This is what we think of ECW, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, why not, so why not backstage too? I know. Like in the, in the back of my mind, I, that's probably what I would be thinking too, you know? I mean, I think that would be what was in mind for it, him having the championship belt them out there you know beating the crap out of the uh the top ecw guy yeah right exactly um so when did you first meet vince was it back in 97 then that was the first time i remember meeting him yeah yeah yep um you were at wrestlemania 3 as a fan and when the show started vince was in the ring and gave the big welcome to wrestlemania did you know at the time that he actually owned the wf or did you just think he was kind of personality or do you remember that at all when you were there I don't remember what my perspective was uh, at that time. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, did I know, or did I just think he was a commentator? Because you know, he used to be like when when I grew up watching uh, him. By the way, this is uh, Wacket. I don't know if I've shown you this. This is oh, my grinder. Really? This is my grinder that I oh. use. It's like so much people that have old-fashioned grinders and turn them they're amazed to see this but um bud right bud all right bud. yeah and then uh this is this is how this is how i grind it i i'll show you the box but you, you know it's in the box this is how i grind it you just yeah. push on it that makes yeah so Ooh, that's nice really, really cool product and you, and you charge it with a regular um like usb yeah, the other one, the smaller one, like the Kindle one, whatever oh, yeah. that's called. Mm -hmm. And uh, it stays charged for like six, seven months. It's awesome. Oh, shit. It's called, called Wackit, W-A-K-I-T. Tell them RVD sent you, but my oh, friend makes those. And usually whenever someone's at the house, they're like, what did you just do when I grind up some uh, some bud? <laughs> yeah, I'm used to it because I've had it so long and people in my circle have it, you know, but got to be therapeutic uh, feeling too i, I think uh, to do that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> from a sensual standpoint <laughs> sensory um we're talking about vince or, we're talking uh, about vince uh real quick what is like i mean what is that really stands out for you for wrestlemania 3 like as a personal memory for you when you were there oh. well first the size of the building um it was so so big from the outside just a monster of a building, the Pontiac Silverdome. 
big line leading up to it. And then when we finally got in the door, I didn't expect it to go down too, but it went way down and made it even bigger. And so I had just, I was overwhelmed by that, by the size of it. Um, I remember I brought a sign as a fan. <laughs> well, I said Jake the Snake, I think, on one side, and the other side said Greg the Hemorrhoid Valentine. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you know, he lives like a few blocks from me, and I never remember. And I wrote, I, I have it on my list. I'm going to call him because uh, I always want to. Uh, when I see him on the road, I'm always like, yeah, you know, we're, we're like blocks from each other. But that's true with everyone uh, in in Las Vegas, Godfather uh, included. But um, I got to tell him that, though, if I remember. It is a fan that I had that sign. I forgot about that. That's awesome. <laughs> How about that? That's some full circle stuff there. And I really thought they could, like, see it, you know, like way down on the ring. Oh, I just yeah. like, hey, hey. But everyone is. They're screaming, you know. That's, oh, that's, that's what you do. That's what you do when you're there. No doubt about it. Um, did the Sheik ever tell you any stories about Vince at all? Yeah, he he said that he was a snot-nosed brat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. And he and he said something else that I, I, I can't I don't know how to make sense out of it. Um but he said something about that he he picked Vince up when Vince was a, a kid and Vince was walking down the just walking down the road, which I don't know what that meant, if that was a figure of speech or, or what. Um, but he's there's a stout nose brat just walking on the street when I picked him up. And I guess, uh, and Sheik said that Vince, uh, when he was a kid, stayed with Sheik at his mansion for, for some time. Wow. And, um, that's, that's about all I can remember him saying. Well, how about that? Jeez. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody, at least according to the Sheik, for sure, everybody, um, stayed at his mansion. It seems like, uh, you know, Greg the Hammer Valentine as well, but that one I know is true, but. He used to have this huge mansion, and in, uh, in Brian Solomon's book, he says it was four stories high, and uh, had like thirty some rooms to it. And um, you know, I never got to see that. He he had already moved out of the mansion when, when I met him, oh. so I just so I just hear stories of it and stuff. But um, it seems to be quite legendary, and people that knew him in the seventies and sixties, um, they would stay there if they're if he's booking people in the. Michigan or Ohio or even Canada territory where it's a drive from his uh, place there in, I think it was Williamston outside of Lansing. They would stay as they, they put, he'd put him up there at his house, you know? So he was, Sabu's very much like that too, by the way. Like I, I, there's a lot of what I can see Sabu gets from the Sheik, but that's something Sabu's always felt like uh, when the guys are on the road, that the boys all need to stick together. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good, that's the way to do it, I think, too. <laughs> you know? Hell yeah. Um, when you wrestled those few shows at Raw in 97, uh, what were your interactions like with Vince Lowe? Like, the first time you dealt with him when you were meeting? Or, like, well, like especially, like, those times, too, where you just kind of had those uh, interactions where, like, hey, you know, you were kind of put in the middle of, of, between him and Heyman in a lot of ways. What, do you remember a lot of first reactions to him? I can last week, in a way. It's an easy one to answer because at that time, that first conversation that I had with Vince was my very last conversation that I had with Vince. Wow. Yeah. So we were in Detroit 
And I was, you know, Paul had been working me up all along. You know, as soon as something doesn't smell right, you say the word, we're out of here. We got your back. We'll go. We'll go. And so I I was like, did you, Paul, did you hear what they want to, what they want? What? What are they talking about doing? And I was like, why would I wrestle Road Dog as an outsider, you know? coming in as ECW and then wrestle him. And then they want him over like, that's not good for our, our image or our, or our company. I thought, you know, I mean, like, you want to go, let's go. You know, let, let, we're out of here. You Let's go. I'm like, I, well, I'm, I remember saying, Paul, I'm asking you for some, you know, for your thoughts here, you know? And um, he was like, um, you, what, what's going on now? If you, yeah. I mean, if you think, you know, let's, and it was that. So it was like, um, you want to talk to Vince? Yeah, let's, you, well, I guess I do. You know, uh, let me see what's going on. And we all got in a room together, me and Sabu. And uh, and there's Vince. And um, Paul stayed behind us in the corner over there. I can't remember if he was talking to Bruce or to JR. I think he was talking to... I can't remember. One of them was back there and one of them was in front of us by by Vince, you know, and both of these guys were new to me that day. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I wouldn't have known, you know, Bruce from Jerry Briscoe probably. Right. If that, I don't know. Um, but uh anyway, you know, I was like I you know, I was the I was the one um I had the floor. I remember that. And I was like, you know, we're Vince, I appreciate you having us here. From what I remember, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was like, dude, we appreciate the opportunity to, you know, get our uh, product um, on your on your stage so more people can see it. You know, it's been awesome. I don't, you know, um, we're, you know, we can't do, we can't do this tonight. You know, that's, that's just not good business. And, uh, you know, I can't even imagine what, what's in mind, like what, uh, whose idea that was or whatever the fuck, like, why would we even do that? I don't even know. And then Vince was like, uh, well, you, we, we, then when Vince took over, because I went and I looked for Paul, we were saying, we looked over there, you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm out. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but when Vince was, he let me say my, my piece, you know, and, and I explained, I'm just here to help get ECW over and this don't do it. And, uh, <laughs> and he was, and he's like, well, um, you know, um, I, you know, first off, I, I never would have had you on my uh, television if I didn't think you were staying here. Um, and I uh, working for WWE and I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> That was like the furthest thing from what I expected to hear, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea. And I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Look over at Paul, he's like, oh. <laughs> and I'm, me and Sabu are looking at each other, you know, and then Vince is like, uh, well, um, actually, I plan on you uh, long-term uh, being a baby face, an aggressive baby face, but uh, I see you, and I was just like, I don't even think I heard anything else. I was just like so surprised at what he was saying that I was like, wow, you know, like, uh, I think maybe at that time, maybe 
it was already too late to 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 change my mind. And I think it's because of the time. You know what I mean? I think that I think that when we talked to Vince, it was already like later in the day. Maybe maybe it was when I was supposed to be in the ring. You know, maybe I had to throw somebody else out. And maybe we went all the way up till that time before I talked to Vince. I really don't remember the details, but I just remember like that was it. And it wasn't like, I don't really remember ha having a minute to consider in like, oh, am I getting a job offer right now? Like for me to consider, um, because it did, it did come across like that. It just came across like, wow, this is a big misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. And that's That's all it seemed like, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, especially if you're not, if there's two sides that's being played and you're not aware of it, it's just like, how do you expect to even know, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't like, um, oh, uh, my baby face, you say, huh, Vince? Later, Paul. You know, like, <laughs> See, I wasn't, Paul? All right, no, I wasn't no, no. prepared. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't prepared to do that to him, but yeah, he yeah. must have been prepared, must have been ready to possibly do that to me, seeing what I was walking into. Yeah, yeah, he must have been. Yeah, it's a good point. Jeez. Well, we talked about on the show how you negotiated with Jim Ross when you ended up going to the WAF in 2001. Uh, did you talk to Vince at all during that time? Or was it when you just signed on and then you, like, met him up there? Do you remember any of that? Yeah, it was just Jim. Uh, talked to Jim at uh, in, in Los Angeles at the Marriott Um had a meeting in the hotel room and um, everything went well there. Uh, you probably want to know what I remember of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want. It wasn't, it wasn't a follow. Like, I didn't go to Stanford to the office, you know, and, and meet with Vince or talk creative ideas or anything like that. It was, it was more like just waiting. And then I was, the way I remember it, I was booked, had no idea what we were doing. I had no idea that I was going to represent ECW, that I was going in with Tommy and, and my peers. I had no idea. So I was super stoked on my first day. But prior to that, um, after that meeting with JR, I think I had a manager at the time. And I think that it was like uh, just waiting for updates from my manager. But I know at the meeting with with JR, like he explained because of what had happened when, uh, yeah, that there was some perception that I might have some kind of an attitude um, that might be an issue. And so, you know, after the meeting, he said, I don't find that to be the case. He also told me that uh, I wasn't going to be wrestling RVD style because I wouldn't be able to keep up on their non-stop schedule night after night diving from the ring to the floor and taking these crazy bumps and uh and i was like yeah we'll see <laughs> we'll see about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's pretty so you were like just more like uh i can handle that you know it'll be all right in your head and then uh it wasn't more like oh it, it didn't kind of let the wind out of yourselves like oh this is gonna be fucking frustrating or where were you kind of nope not at all i just i just you know like it, it, i figured like i've always figured like hey i'm out to show off i'm an entertainer one of the things that i got to prove to people that i want to prove to people is toughness i want to show how durable i am part of that is taking a hell of a punishment getting power bombed on my head and my knees folding up and slamming on the mat or 
you know, crazy bumps from the top rope to the floor or hitting the guardrail, DDTing on my head, whatever it is. And I, my, my skills and my style is very, very physical. So I didn't think I was going to be compromising that at all. I just thought he's going to see. And also 2001, I'd already been wrestling, I don't know, 11 years, 12 yeah, years, something yeah. like so it wasn't like um, I'm one of these guys now that goes from wrestling school straight in with two, three years experience and is trying to be a superstar. So I felt like I know me and, and, and you guys are going to learn to know me too. Right. And you're like, at that point too, you're just you're not, not only are you like peaking in ECW, but you're like hitting your stride. Like this is like right where things are rolling, you know? So. I'm like, bro, there's a reason I have my name. I felt like this is what brought me to the dance i'm not gonna change and yeah. i was very adamant about that probably to my benefit and detriment in the yeah. big picture yeah yeah well towards the end of 2001 you were getting a very big push you pinned the world champ steve austin in a non-title match you pinned the world champion kurt angle in a non-title match and also during this time you pinned the rock undertaker kane edge others they looked like you were strapping the rocket to your back did you feel that way and when all that was kind of going on too um you know no, no, I did it, but that's exactly what Steve Austin said to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly the way he put it, too. Like really? He came up, came up to me, he's like, oh, kid, they're fixing to strap a rocket to your back, what you, a rocket ship to your back. What, you know, what do you think about that? And I was just like, okay, you know, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I guess, you know, now I can see why a lot of times they thought I didn't want it, you know, but I didn't believe it till I, you know, like, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but when I first started, so I had the meeting with JR. I signed a three-year deal with good pay, it, way more than what's been reported on online, by the way. Every time I read anything about what I made at any point in my career, it's always very far off. That's but anyway... Cool. It was an escalating uh, three-year uh, scale, um, three-year escalating pay scale. Uh, and, and anyway, um, and that's the downside, right? That, right. So if you don't understand that, that for the other people, that's your guarantee. So in other words, you might get kicked in the balls every night, but at the end of the year, we're just guaranteeing you you'll make at least this much. So if we owe you, we'll pay you at the end of the year. We can punish you every day of the year and make you feel like crap until then. And maybe we will. And that's what it started out. Like, um, I went, uh, I wrestled Johnny the bull in Atlanta. Um, must've been that first night, I guess that I was there with, uh, Tommy. Cause I remember that and the ECW TV, both being in Atlanta. Weird. Anyway. Um, when I got my first check or two, I went to Jr. and I was like, "Dude, I don't work for this." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I can't, like I, I can't stay if this is what you're going to pay me. And um, w why did I bring this up? Because um, strapping the rocket to your back. Yeah, because that's like, you know, it was shortly after this conversation. I was in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. at the at the um, Mellon Arena. Mellon Arena. Yep. This is one of my very first. Like during this time that you're talking about when everyone's and anyway, I'm in the urinal, not in the urinal. I'm in the bathroom standing at the uh -huh. urinal and um, um, oh, I had his name till I just tried to tried to say it. Um, you know, the dude, uh, the Canadian promoter, Pat Patterson. Oh, OK. Yeah, Pat. 
Okay. Pat Patterson's in there and me, we're the only ones in the bathroom. You know, I'm actually, now that I think about it, I think I was like uh, um, trying to roll a doobie or something. And I'm like, oh shit. And, uh, well, he smoked cigs anyway. He ripped cigs anywhere. Already, so it's fine. But I'm new at this point. And anyway, he says, he says, hey kid, you're going to make a lot of money here in this business. And I, and I said to him, if you say so, and he didn't like that response. He said, what? And I said, no, if you say so, sound, sounds good. I'll believe it when I see it. He goes, I don't like that answer. He said, oh, you're, you're telling me you don't believe in yourself. And I'm like, no, I believe in me, but I don't know if that's going to equate to making a lot of money, you know, based on what I've been making here so far. I got paid a lot more before I came here. And that conversation, now having the bigger picture, I can tie all these events together and see where the office might have thought that I was just like, eh, where I should have said, a rocket ship on my back? Yes! 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 Ooh, I'm getting a rocket ship. Ooh, I'm going to prove to you this isn't a mistake. You're never going to regret doing this. I'm going to be the best rocket ship flyer you've ever had. <laughs> you know, but it's not me because I'm like, uh, like yeah, that means more money, right? Yeah, right. Back to what we were saying earlier. It's all about the yeah. yeah. So that's that's uh, that's what I remember about uh, my first first coming into WWE was like, oh, cool. So I got no control over this whatsoever. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, at least yeah. I had a good a, a downside that was good to me um, because I was like, so if you guys don't even bring T-shirts to the arena, which a few times there was no RVD shirts. You didn't do that. Oh man. It's like thanks guys. That's awesome. That's really it really helps me make a lot of money, but uh but they had room for like uh, you know four John Cena shirts and uh, four DX shirts even though they weren't even on the card, you know. Yeah. It's like I see how politics works. <laughs> and you one could argue well those shirts must be bigger sellers if they need to use those space instead of RVD shirts. Not true. No, no. It's a mat. Dude, when you came in the WWE, I mean, everybody's like looking for RVD shit back at that point. And yeah. And I remember like uh, Africa, they didn't bring any. I remember when I was in Detroit, they didn't have any. And uh, there's certain times, you know, when I would have to go and complain and it did usually get something done when I would complain, but I'm not a complainer. I didn't like doing business that yeah, way. Yeah. And that was probably taken as if he don't care because he don't complain enough. Yeah, no, you got it. Like they, they expect people to be in like the thick of it all and like right, right involved in that stuff. So Rocket Van Dam, man. <laughs> 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 so you talk about like that, that they kind of maybe had an impression of you, but what was like your relationship with Vince at this time? It seems like if like, it seems like in the long run, he, he kind of dug your style in a lot of ways from just an outsider perspective. I, I always got along with Vince. I don't remember when we first started talking after I was hired there in 2001. I, I don't remember like a time when we started. I just remember like um, he, he was always respectful and, and, and cool to me. And uh, um, we would pass each other all the time, like, you know, in the hallway or in the arena I'd be down by the ringside stretching out in the daytime. Then I'd like walk back. I'd pass by him. We'd always stop and try and talk, you know, but there wasn't, sometimes it'd be awkward because they'd be like, Hey Vince, Hey Rob, how you doing? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. 
All right, man. See you later. Okay. A lot of times it was like that, you know, and it was like, it was effort on both our parts, but it was like, I, I didn't know him like the other guys that could leg dive him and, and, you know, and tackle him and all that, all that stuff. Um, so you, we just, uh, I just remember, you know, talking more and more. And I remember going to him a few times. Uh, I remember going to him when I was frustrated about politics and he was very open. That might've been maybe the first time that I actually like bonded with him, like uh, went in there just unloaded and um, about everything, about a lot of stuff that, that, that I haven't even talked about yet um, in a public format. And um, he was really cool and open to, to that discussion. He was like, well, Rob, I, I appreciate you're frustrated, you know? And it was like, um, another time, like he was always open to ideas like the ECW idea. Another thing like that, I had a dude in uh, California who my evil ex was friends with his girlfriend, whatever, whatever. He says he works for Bayer aspirin. And we start talking about Flintstone vitamins. And I went to, uh, first I went to the merchandise guy, the guy that wouldn't have my shirt sometimes, yeah. you know, and I was like, Hey, if I have a guy that can make rest, uh, WWE, like Flintstone vitamins and shit, you know, uh, um, I, I want to see, you know, Vince's interest in that. And the guy was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then I'd come back to him and I'd be like, um, hey, here's another story I've never told. <laughs> I just know, I just know, like, I don't think this has ever come out of my mouth. But anyway, um, <laughs> T-shirt, dude. And then I'd go to him, you know, the next week. i say, hey, you know, uh, you talked to Vince. I, huh? About what? Flintstone vitamins, dude. Wait, wait. Oh, uh, no, I, I didn't see him. Dude, um, tell him I want to talk to him about it. You know, I don't know why I went to the merchandise guy. It seemed like it made sense to me at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. And then uh, finally, then I went, you know, uh, anyway, eventually, I could that happen. But I went to him, hey, did you talk to him yet? And he's like, oh, uh, 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 yeah. And then, and then one time, the guy actually lied and told me, oh, yeah, he's not going to be interested in, in something like that. And I was like, what? Bro, you didn't even talk to him, and I and I let him have it because I knew, you know, that he was just putting me all this time when I thought that I was waiting. He was just, you know, placating me. Placating and, you, yeah, oh yeah. my god, it, it made me so mad. I went to Vince myself, and I said, Vince, if I had a guy that works for Bayer Aspirin that's ta that wants to talk about uh, making like WWE Flintstone vitamins, you'd be interested in that, wouldn't you? And he's like, oh, well, yeah, Rob, I would. You know, we could make some money with that. And I was like, I thought so. And, and then instead of talking about the vitamins, I just wanted to complain about the T-shirt guy. I've been talking, <laughs> talking to this guy. Mm, yeah, mm. And uh, by the way, nothing ever became of that. The guy that I knew ended up dropping the ball saying the people that he worked for couldn't come through with what they said or whatever. But it made me realize that, you know, the, the Vince was approachable in that way. Yeah, and if you wanted to get something done, it's like, hey, just go right to him a lot if you're at Wouldn't that be cool, fucking wrestler, uh, Flintstone Vitamins? That would like, be fucking great. You, know, you, with the fucking... you get Stone Cold doing the middle finger. You get you, you know, all this yeah right yeah and when you said flip some vitamins i was like dude i could eat a handful of those right now <laughs> so, yes 
Um, okay. Hey, this kind of ties into uh, what you were saying too about like people leg leg wrapping him and stuff like that. Uh, talk about the infamous meeting with Vince when you thought about having him pick a hand because him wanting you to go overseas to tribute to the troops when you told it was voluntary and you chose not to go. Yeah. So it wasn't. It wasn't that big of a situation to where he would even have a clue that that it almost happened. You know, it wasn't like there was like a half altercation or anything like that. It's just that um, the wrestlers were going to be going uh, overseas to visit the troops and I didn't want to go. And it wasn't political or anything. It was like, dude, I'm so burnt out from traveling. I've been working four or five days a week every week, except for international trips where there was worth seven days a week. And then uh, we had 10 days off uh, coming up for Christmas and I was counting the days, you know, I can make it in two more months. I got a 10 day break for Christmas. It was one of those things, right? Right. When we started getting close to it, they had a meeting. It's going to be voluntary. Um, but you know, we're going to go over and uh, say hi to the troops and all this. And I was like, yeah, uh, miss me on that one, bro. Um, there's enough, there's enough wrestlers, you know, that want to go. Cool. And then Johnny, uh, you know, says, well, you know, they say, you know, they, Robbie, they, they say that it's volunteer, but, you know, they expect you to go, right? And I, I was just like, uh, yeah, like I said, dude, <laughs> thanks, no thanks. Um, and then I, I guess he told Vince, and Vince uh, came uh, approached me one day and said, Rob, I understand uh, that you don't want to go uh, visit the troops uh, for, you know, on Christmas or however he put it, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's, thank you for understanding. And he was like, um, yeah, <laughs> but I think you're going to see, this is going to be one of the best experiences of your lifetime. And I was like, I, no, I don't, did you miss some, like, <laughs> you know that part where, you know that part where I'm not going, I'm not yeah, going. That part, do you understand? <laughs> I have a calendar, I'm marking the days down. <laughs> Boom. And, and I started getting offended just 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 at the feeling uh the, the void of control or presumed control over my own person. It, it, it was that. It wasn't anything else. It was just like man to man, wait a second. You're telling me. But anyway, first it, it escalated to that because no, I'm not going. Well, before you make up your mind. I suggest you talk to some of the wrestlers that have been there before and get their perspective. Man, this motherfucker thinks that I'm going, right? And and, and I was stewing about it. And, uh, uh, and other wrestlers are coming up to me saying, man, Rob, I respect you for saying no. Like, I, you know, I don't want to go either, but I can't say no. I'm not RVD. Dude, why do I always hear that? Like, there's no, there's nothing in my contract that says I can get no heat. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. I just, I just have principles uh, and I'm not a puppet and, and, you know, that works for and against me. But here I'm saying that Christmas break, I will be <laughs> in California or wherever the hell I lived at the time. I, I guess that was it. Um, so anyway, um, one day, uh, the, it was, it was the subject, you know, like they were like, uh, they're, you know, are they going to, are they going to let you not go? And I was getting mad. We mean, let me not go. Like, am I a prisoner? Like what? Cause already, already dude, by that time I'd already taken in the fact that I signed this contract with these terms on it 
And I'm an independent contractor, and I love that. I'm I'm the one percent of the wrestlers that goes that will argue against my preference, whether it comes to the union and health insurance. That's a whole other episode, and right now people are going to be going nuts if they haven't heard my position on that. But as an independent contractor, I can take care of myself, and I uh, negotiate all the terms that I need. If I want health insurance and it has to be part of the deal, boom, it's on there. Or if I'd rather have this much more money and I'll get my own health insurance, guess what? I'd rather do that. And most people say they'd rather do that. They don't even consider that an option. Why? I don't know. Basic thinkers, I guess. But it got to a point to where, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, um, I, I'm waiting sometimes to talk to Vince at the end of a show, TV show, because you'd be at the TVs, not the house shows. Sometimes you had to wait around for a while and there'd be like a bunch of people uh, that are waiting to meet him. And so I sat there and I was waiting to meet him. I'm glad I did it because I was so hot and I was just sitting there in my own head getting myself hotter. Yeah, um, and I think that's why they left me out there. I think they knew that because yeah. they left me out there. It seems like at least an hour. And I'm just like, every time somebody would come out like Michael Hayes, I'd be like, is Vince ready yet? You know, and, and in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I need to show him that he doesn't have control over me. That's what I really thought. Yeah, yeah. And I had myself worked up into this state of mind where I was going to go in there and I was going to say, Vince, pick a hand. <laughs> and I was going to smack him on his face and see what happens then. I figured there's no way I'm going to get fired for it. He might respect me for it. I don't know if I do get fired for it, you might as well. I'd rather get fired than have you win and you against my own will drag me to the, to the war zone in the desert on this big, I mean, even the airplanes sound like they're these big uncomfortable warehouses with no seats in them. There's nothing at all about that trip that sounds good to me. And I'm already tired of traveling. And anyway, that's where my mind was. They can't, they left me out there so long. Like, I don't even know how long. Honestly, it seemed like it was close to two hours, but I might remember it wrong. But Paul, I kept seeing Paul like every 15, 20 minutes. And I'd say, would you tell him? I'm, does he know that I'm here waiting to talk to him? And, and I told Paul, I, I'm going to ask him to pick a hand. Paul's like, don't do that. That is not a good idea. I was like, no. What do you know? You know what's not a good idea? Tell me I got no choice. And I'm going, you know, you're taking me to the, um, to the terrorist zone or whatever. Which, by the way, I don't. I never even did talk to him that night. They ended up saying he didn't have time for me, and I'm almost positive it's because they knew I was hot. And and whether it was they, meaning the office, or they meaning the universe, they they saved me from <laughs> what could have been, you know, not a very good episode. Um, it would have been out of respect, but um, <laughs> in the long run, the location that we were going to got moved to a different place that wasn't as secure. So it was either Qatar first or second, whichever one. And uh, Johnny said, um, he said, uh, now volunteer really does mean volunteer. And he went around, you know, Chavo, um, Kevin, Rob, I'm, Rob, I know you're not going. I'm like, have a good time. <laughs> hey, yeah, you're right, Johnny. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Send me a postcard. You have fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we talked about on a previous show. You talking about Vince doing the ECW pay per view? What? How about when they brought decided to bring ECW back as a third brand? 
Uh, did you have any conversations with Vince? Or did he pick your brain about it? Or was it just like, what were kind of your expectations when that happened? My first expectations were, this is going to be so easy for Vince because um, he's got so many guys here and maybe some girls, I don't really remember, but talent that worked for ECW. So I, I'm telling him, I want to do this ECW pay-per-view just one night. And that's exactly how I told him. And it ended up being, you know, one night stand, right? Right. Yep. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. But I was telling him, just, just one night only is the way I put it. But I, um, and like, it wasn't like I thought of a title and shit, but I was telling him, you just, we need just one night only. We don't need any storylines, no buildup. It'll be, and you don't even need to bring anybody in. And, and it was like, um, yeah, wow, Rabbi, that sounds like a great idea. I think I could make some money. And I was like, awesome. So then every week I would uh, talk to him. Uh, I went up to him and I said, hey, do you realize how many guys you have that are former ECW guys, you know, like Chris Jericho and uh, the, all three of the Dudleys, you know, and uh, and he was like, oh, no, I, I, I didn't realize that. So the following week, I gave him a big list of everybody. Uh, you know, here's Ray Mysterio, and here's just everybody, everybody that had been through ECW that was already on his roster so that he wouldn't have to do anything except for just let us wrestle each other, and that would be the theme of it. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I talked to him a lot during that time, and then as it got closer – towards actually um, producing the thing and, and putting all of it together the way it was going to go. Then I was talking to Paul and Paul was talking to the, uh, the higher ups. Hammering it out and stuff like that. What, For so, the most part. Yeah. Now, so what happened though, when um, it got to like, Hey, we're going to make this a third brand and a third show. Uh, where was your mindset at with that as it was going forward in that regard with this i couldn't have been any happier i i expected it to be true to ecw mm -hmm. jim ross was saying ecw means anything goes and and i felt like wow this is my chance to just be the best in the world man i i felt like this is my arena this is where i shine ecw style i get to use my extreme imagination throw the rule book out do what I want to do to entertain the crowd. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe I was thinking I wanted to leave when I finished up my contract just a few months ago. Now I'm thinking I could sign for another 10 years. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And I felt um, physically and mentally and spiritually, I felt just like unbeatable. I felt like I was on top of the world. This is me bringing my favorite uh, style like I said, showcasing ex yeah. my favorite style of exhibition to the mainstream stage where everyone can be exposed to it and decide for themselves what they prefer. Right, right. That's what, that's those are my expectations. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense too. And oh man, sad it didn't come up that way, but. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's been said for years, Vince likes to have a relationship with, like, their champion when it's in there. Uh, when you won the title, I, was that kind of dynamic there? I know it was for a little, only a little bit, but did you have kind of a good dynamic with Vince around that time What when he, you were holding the, the belt and everything? 
I had a good relationship with Vince, but it wasn't like um, any tighter than it was before. Mm -hmm. But a while ago, leading up to this, and maybe this would have been around the uh, the said rocket ship strapping uh, period of my career. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been around there or sometime in between. They were coming up to me and telling me I need to build this relationship with Vince. Oh. And I didn't know how to take it. And uh, it was everybody. I mean, it was Shano. It was Michael Hayes. It was Stephanie. I, it might have been trips. I, I I didn't know how to take it. I was offended by it because Bruce Pritchard. I remember him telling me one time, like uh, same thing. You know, hey, you know they're they're ready to. Oh, here's what here's the conversation at an arena. So you can fit this chronologically, or else I know YouTube Chris can for YouTube sure. Chris will definitely get it. <laughs> yeah, so Richard, Bruce Pritchard comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, you know, Rob, uh, you know, you're doing really good here. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really happy with you. Oh, cool. You know, that's awesome. Enjoying it. He says, yeah, uh, John Cena is going to be leaving in October. He's going to uh, he's going to be working on uh, the Marine he's doing this movie. So he's going to be gone for a while. And I was like, oh, OK. And he said, yep. So uh, and he realized I didn't get what he was saying. And he said, yep. So, uh, you know, we, this is a good chance for you, you know, to fill that, that, that spot, you know, that on that next level, you know, put you in that position. And I was like, cool. You know, and, and he was like, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a good time for you to, you know, to, um, you know, to really do what it takes to, to get up there. And I got offended and I was like, are you telling me that I don't work hard enough? Oh, that's yeah. how he took it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, do you not see me work my ass off in the mm -hmm. ring? Like, what else do I have to do? And he was like, he was like, no, you need to build a relationship with Vince. Vince needs to know that he can trust you, that that he that you're the guy that he can invest in, that he can put the belt on, um, and, and, and that he can lead his company. You need to know. He he needs to know that. And I'm like, are you saying I have to kiss his ass? Like I, I'm out there having you know great matches. The crowd's going nuts. I don't understand what else you want from me. That's one of the things that held me back as well. Oh, interesting. The same conversation happened with Shayna with Stephanie. I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it. I was like, what extra? I thought they were telling me that I had to politic, and mm -hmm. maybe they were. Maybe it was the right thing to do, but I, I didn't get it. Well, that, that's kind of where I was going to go too. Is like, do you think it would have been something that could have happened organically, or would you had to have like kind of go against your, I don't, I guess your values in certain ways and be like, oh, I got a politic, and that's, that's just it, happen. though. I don't know. Is that you can't change anything, you know? Yeah. And if you go back and say, you know, okay, you know, what if I wouldn't have lost the uh, the belts? What if I wouldn't have been speeding that day? You know, what if? Okay, what if I wouldn't have been me? What if I wouldn't have ever smoked? Right. Which when we get to, when we get to the end, I'm going to tell you a story about how how smoking actually helped me fit into this crazy world and where I came from. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Okay. Hey, sweet. Um, speaking of which, did uh, do you recall what uh, like talk about like that? Do you remember meeting with Vince after the whole speeding thing happened or anything? And what? His yes. Yes. Mm. So did uh, 
and anything change with them afterwards or were you guys just it was still kind of the same same uh, i think this was the first time maybe that i saw him angry at me yeah i think so you know it was just rumors and and, and bullshit when all the wrestlers were talking about all the the heat that I had for being stiff, mm-hmm. Vince loved it. Vince loves it stiff. You know he's old school. Yeah. He loved he loved keeping it credible. And uh, anytime I went to him, you know, hey, you know, I understand, you know, that there goes ah, you know, they'll they'll learn, you know. And I was just like, it's just it's just them running their mouth, not to me. Not to me, other but people. to each other. Oh, he's got heat with you and me. <laughs> <laughs> what? How pointless is that? Yeah, right? Jeez. <laughs> but anyway, we showed up at the building uh, in Philadelphia, uh, Sabu and I, and I had no idea until I arrived that everybody already knew about it. I wasn't even going to say anything. Yeah. Busted. I've been pulled over, gotten so many tickets, and got let go. And everything, I mean, so many times. So it was just, I didn't know the difference just because I had the championship. That's what made the difference. And everyone already knew when we got to the building, you know, and and we found that out very soon. And Vince was one of the first people that I remember walking by when uh, we got to the building. And of course, I was wondering how Vince is going to feel about this. Um, And he was walking towards us. I mean, Sabu, and I, you know, I'm just kind of like, uh, hey, Vince. And he just like walked right by, didn't, oh, you know, like he didn't, he, his energy was like, not now, you know, not a good time. And he walked by, and I was like, yeah, he needs some time. <laughs> I'll let him cool off a little bit. <laughs> and he did. And then later on, when he came up to me after he talked to his advisors, made a plan, whatever, he was like, Rob, you know, um, you're going to be suspended for 30 days. Now, I want you to take this 30 days and get some rest. I mean, he couldn't have been cooler, you know? Yeah. You're going to drop the championship tonight, tomorrow night. Um, you're going to drop the ECW championship. Oh, you know, and it was um, – but he was just, he was just you know, like, um, go home, get some rest, you know, we'll let it pass. Boom. Super cool. That's good. That's good to hear too, because like you always, like you were saying too, people have these expectations and they don't always, you know, what people think is not necessarily true. So, good stuff, yeah. man. Um, do you recall his reaction when you told him you were leaving in two thousand seven? I don't remember having the conversation with Vince at all. No? I must have. Um, I remember Stephanie giving me a hug like on the last day, like when I had that match with Randy Orton, that stretcher match. Yeah, yeah. They obviously thought I was coming back. That's why, you know, the finish was RVD up. Um, I remember talking to Johnny about the business of it. I don't remember talking to Vince at all about it. No. So, yeah. well, how about what, any interactions you remember when you returned in uh, 2013 and, and 2014 with Vince? Yes. Vince was super cool. Um, he was happy to have me there in 2013. And uh, at the end of it, it, when I was in, we did it, we were in the overseas too uh, during that 2013 run. And Pat Patterson said something really cool. He was the agent that went international with us then. And uh, we were in England and, you know, just like always, 
big monkey flip, RVD, like plates going nuts. Pat put me over, which I wasn't used to. They always seemed to humble me by not wanting to let me know how they felt about me. That's what it seemed like to me. That's how I translated the ups and downs of, of my path. And uh, But he said, wow, he said, all these people are here to see you. And I was just like, wow. And I said, you're going to write that in your report? Which maybe I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's stiff. Is that stiff? It's not uh, stiff when I say it that way now. But. Maybe, but to your point, like you don't know how people are going to react to certain things. It's like, uh, he might not have took it that way. Maybe not, you know? Hopefully not. I remember him saying, uh, you know, um, every word of it, something like that to that effect. That's, so, yeah, he probably didn't then. So I think it's good. <laughs> but I remember at the end of, uh, so I, in, in 2013, you know, I signed to do 66 matches in 90 days. Um, when you figure going home and going back out to the road, there's not days off in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> too, too many. It was, a, it was a hell of a run, uh, but it was a really good comeback. I had fun. At the end, um, Vince said, uh, thanked me, you know, and said, uh, you know, this has been, uh, thank you. We got a great piece of business together and I appreciate it. Um, and I heard from uh, production guys that he had a meeting with them and said it and told everyone to, um, you know, RVD did a good, uh, he, it's his last day of this 90 day tour, you know, and we've had, enjoy, you know, if you think, tell him thank you. Tell everybody, you know, thank you. Nobody did except for the one guy that told me about the meeting, which he didn't even, he didn't even, he didn't either actually, but he told me that Vince said that, uh, he told yeah. everyone, you know, Hey, good chance. Thank RVD. You know, he did a, he helped us do a good piece of business. I mean, houses were up. I'm not saying I drew them. I'm not saying I did it, but it was an awesome tour. And uh, at that point I was under the expectation of, of that I could just, go back whenever I wanted, like, cause Hunter was, you know, he was doing that with Jericho. Yeah. Uh, he was saying, you know, Chris comes and works when he's not doing his Fozzie tours and we book him around that. And, you know, you could take a look at the schedule, let us know, you know, and I was all right, cool. Uh, but I, I wanted them to get a hold of me, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, and they right. did it and like a whole year went by and then, um, and I, and I was in, I went to the show cause they were in town where I lived, I guess LA or Anaheim. And I went. I said to Corona, "Would you lose my number or something?" And um, God, that's weird. It's just like now. It's just like now. Like people ask how I'm not there. I'm like, they're not calling me. You know, it's the same. <laughs> it, it really is. Like I'm just. You know, that's why it's good to articulate feel. You know, thoughts on these uh, shows. And 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 uh, anytime you talk, I'm realizing I'm seeing patterns here because it is kind of like the same thing. But I went there because they were in town. And so I went and I talked to them, you know, about coming in, you know, maybe they said, are you ready to come in? Maybe I just, maybe I said, you know, you guys, you know, it's been a year if you guys want to do something again. So in people's minds, they don't know these were two different uh, years. Yeah, two I, I was there for a while and then I wasn't. And when I was there in 2013, it was awesome. When I went back in 2014, it sucked. And, um, they weren't ready for me, I guess. They didn't have plans for me. They had plans with all these other guys. And then they just kind of like threw me on the schedule. I agreed to do five weeks to, and it was like uh, 88 matches. And it was, you know, to work with the young guys, but they didn't, it did nothing for me. They killed me the whole time. And I waited till the very last, 
last of the last to say anything because like I said, I'm not a complainer and to the, to my benefit or detriment, that's the way that I handled it was I waited. And uh, since then I was told to notify them when I was ready. So maybe that's back where we are. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it up to the universe, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's a cool one. Um, I don't remember seeing Vince that whole second trip in my mind right now in 2014. I know I must have said hi to him in Gorilla or whatever, but nothing stands out. No, I just remember like Triple H had taken over and was running the show more. But that was true in 2013 as well. Um, I think more so. Yeah, so just anything maybe just in passing and stuff like that. Pleasantries. Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, how about memories of uh, him talking to you when you were inducted in the Hall of Fame? Was it any cool moments there for you too? Yes. Um, well, you uh, you saw everybody saw me give him the RVD rolling papers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> RVD rolling papers. Oh yeah, I got so when okay. I when I bought uh, the CBD way back when I I got one of those and I was like I'm fucking keeping these. <laughs> I got him in my office over there. <laughs> that was cool. Um, and uh, Hunter told me, I mean, this is on camera. I don't remember, you know, necessarily anything off camera, except for they were really cool, you know, but yeah, they both, they both told me that um, I, I, that I helped change the business. However they put it, that I changed the uh, business with my style. And uh, that obviously that means a lot because, you know, that means, uh, it means I mattered, Dom. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, that, that feels, you know, validating to hear that, especially from those two guys, you know. Um, and uh, they were just super cool. They were cool to Katie, too, you know. Like uh, Hunter said something at one point um, off camera or something, and I heard him saying something about – Katie getting a picture in front of the SmackDown backdrop or something. And I was like, uh, something about your wife, SmackDown back. That was, oh yeah, she probably loved that. And he was like, no, I already, I already got her take care of. And I was like, oh man, thank you. You know, yeah. Yeah, I already told her, already hooked her up with that or whatever. Yeah, they were, they were cool. Nice, man. Nice. Um, So obviously he like retired, quote unquote, after controversial stuff. And then he comes back when that, all that stuff was kind of going on. What, when he retired, would you like just be like, ah, that doesn't? Did you kind of expect him to come back in certain ways? What was your mindset with all that? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not one, I'm not one to hold expectations to yeah. a <laughs> to a very big degree. I kind of stay open and unplanned, and and I could at that, I could see anything happening. I could see him coming back or him going somewhere completely different. Uh, yeah, I don't think I knew what was going to happen, but it did look like more and more information was going to keep coming out, you know, and uh, man, they're supposed to do that documentary, I think on Netflix. I was looking forward to that. I don't know if that's canceled now. Yeah, because- I have no idea either. Um, I haven't heard. I remember writing about it like about a year and a half ago or something. And then Yeah. Yeah. That story probably changed a little bit now that they weren't going to tell anyway, but um, I didn't expect him to show up with a mustache. No, it's a very uh, 
yeah, I wasn't expecting it either. Um, I, at first, I was caught off guard, and then it kind of grew on me, pun intended, I guess. I don't know. It, like, <laughs> and like, I was uh, like, I can see it. I can got, buy into this. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it looks very billionaire-esque. Right. Uh, reminds me of Howard Hughes. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, Vince is Howard Hughes. You know? I was thinking Walt Disney. Um, I was also thinking, do you know, oh, what's the guy's name? Tennessee Ernie Ford, that 16 tons. What do you get? That song? Seven days. Oh, song, yeah. yeah, that guy had, if you look up Tennessee Ernie, I'll text you a picture of him. It looks like. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. But um, as far as his legacy goes, the wrestling business, how do you kind of put Vince? Uh, he's the man. And, and I think he's going to go down as the man that, single-handedly took professional wrestling from a regional sports entertainment bracket to a worldwide phenomenon worth over a billion, you know, dollars and uh, set the standards and created careers and made superstars for decades. I can't see another Vince McMahon coming along. I'm not saying they won't i'm just saying i can't see it right yeah it's true it's i mean to think of the impact he's made uh from you know and everybody's always you know wrestling with oh we get compared to roller derby or get compared to like certain things that would you know maybe fade out and anything and wrestling has stayed the course of time and it, a lot of that's in credit to vince you know his big picture style of things so and he certainly impacted me in my life you know i grew up watching him uh commentate with Jesse the body and uh, Bruno San Martino. And um, now, you know, I consider him one of the most important, one of the most famous and one of the uh, um, most successful people that I know. Um, definitely one of the smartest ones as well. And anytime I watch any of the interviews of him being challenged you know or provoked or whatever like i almost always agree with his point you mm -hmm. know and it goes back it goes back to the, the the that basic thinking you know like people they'll be like wrestlers that wrestled for a cup of coffee as they say in wwe spent the rest of their career on the indie scene doing drugs and now they want to come out, come back and, and blame Vince for it. How, how does that even make sense? You know, like, right. and, and because if they did work for that cup of coffee, Vince WWE volunteered. To, I don't know if they volunteered or if they were told to, or but but anyway, they uh, they took the responsibility either way of putting wrestlers through rehab and paying for it if they spent any time in WWE. So. You got to imagine a lot of the guys spent most of their career outside of WWE and they were probably worse on their destructive habits outside of WWE anyway. So, so anyway, whenever I've, I watch interviews and I, and, and I see everyone try to stick it all on Vince when it's stuff that I personally don't think he should be held responsible for. Um, he sounds smart to me when he, when he states that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, like in here, I heard him on the Pat McAfee show one time. Like he had a big interview there, and it was just like, 
you know, there's a lot of things you can kind of relate with him. Obviously, he's, a, you know, at a different echelon of, you know, financial and class and certain things like that. But it was like, there's some stuff like, oh, I could definitely have a beer with Vince, you know, or whatever, you know. So, paints a pretty good picture, I think. Um, as far as uh, anything else goes, like, something that I kind of heard about Vince, too, is like his... He doesn't. He keeps it under wraps and stuff, but a lot of like generosity and stuff like that when it comes. Have you had any certain instances with that? You don't necessarily have to share if you don't want to. But has there been any uh, occasions where you've heard about Vince doing certain things like that, or you know, kind of out of the box, kind of you know, something that he wouldn't necessarily promote on his own? Um, no, other than the claims that have been brought against him of uh, you know upgrading. Uh, positions in the in the job hierarchy for, yeah, yeah. for the right for the right uh, for the right um, employee ladies but no um, I, nothing comes to mind um, I, I don't know you know I would uh, like you said he's on like a whole different level you know what I mean and like I was always impressed with the uh, the catering at the shows just because you know you could eat anything you could eat there all day and stuff and and uh, they took care of the, the the wrestlers from 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 my experience, you know. So, you know, that's 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 more company than him. But I really I can't think of any any stories to to add to that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, no, I think this was a cool discussion. Uh, typically, uh, we do the Rob Van Randam match. Um, well, I think we might table it for this week because we we went pretty far on this one. So. Um... But let's do you want, are you up for a little bit of ask RVD? Sure. Questions and then we'll do the RVDology. We'll close that way. Cool. We'll table what Paul's got. I mean, YouTube. I just saw Paul's name on here. YouTube Chris got a good one for so we'll hold it off till next week. So, um, but let's see here. I'll get down to the. Yep. Okay. Ask RVD. Here we go. Ash Ten Shoe asks. This is a pretty interesting one. If you had to do a different diving finisher than the five star frog splash. What would have been maybe your second choice? Well, my first choice actually used to be the split-legged moonsault. Okay, yeah, because you would, yeah, you would pull that out, at, you know, more. And then uh, in, in all Japan, they call it the Hollywood Star Press. Oh. That's just what they called it. And uh, Ron Slinker, the crazy dude that gave me the name of Van Dam from Florida, he said in. The end of ni- December '92, when he got he got me a job in WCW. Bill Watts was the promoter, and uh, so this would have been like January of '93. He says you gotta you gotta come up with a, a stronger finish because the split leg moonsault is pretty, but it doesn't have a lot of impact. And the the guys I was wrestling were mostly bigger than me mm-hmm. at that time. It was different business. Yeah, yeah, sure. So. I took that advice and I, I, at the time I thought, what, what could be more impactful than me jumping up as high as I could possibly get and coming down and just crashing my entire weight on somebody um, with all my momentum and force. So that's how I decided to start doing the, uh, the frog splash. But since then, I think a Van Terminator would be actually more force because then I'm able to actually kick and push on top of my <laughs> momentum of said weight uh, and gravity. <laughs> well, I remember too watching him being like, dude, he could 
finish anybody with the the five star, the Van Daminator, or the Van Terminator. It's like those are all three finishers, in my opinion. I thought so. The leg was was soft. It was soft and pretty. It was a neat signature move, though. Like it was just like, yeah. Ooh, all right, yeah. Um, so yeah. Was well, so, a quick follow up on that. Um, uh, what I always liked was when you did the five star frog splash. You would sell the pain yourself too. That when you would do it, you know, and then you go to make the pit. Did that? When did you start incorporating that? Always. Yeah. Always. I always, you know, Sabu uh, trained me that way so that when both two people hit each other, they both feel it. And, yeah. and it's, it's back to that. Like I said, I was taught to believe in the moment all the time. Now they're like, they check in and they check out and uh, they're like, okay, I'm ready for you over here. And they stop working. It's like, it's so different now, but it, it just goes to that mentality of always believing everything. Like we, if we do a shoulder tackle, boom, and drop down, you know, we just, you, you just ran. I mean, two shoulders hitting each other is very, I mean, that's very impactful from a couple of 240 pound guys, bam. And, and, you know, a lot of people, they just don't even think about it because they just, boom, they bump and they're just like, okay, um, I want to make sure the timing's right when I roll over. And there's something to be said about being natural or unnatural, and that plays a big part in how comfortable people are with stuff. But that, you know, Sabu, you know, he taught me, bam, when you punch somebody, you feel it in your hand, you know. Don't, don't you know, shake it off every time. And if you're a real big guy and you bam and do that, then I think it looks bad. You know, if you're real big, you shouldn't be shaking your hand. I mean, yeah. I get it. I get it. You were trained uh, to at least believe you felt that, but you're a really big dude, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but got- there's something called a realm, you know. That's what I got trained in, too. Like, don't, you told me don't do moves that are outside of your realm. Mm, yeah. That stuff that doesn't exist anymore either, because little dudes are power bombing you or doing a power bomb throw into the corner, even if they're not giants, and all of that changed as well. Like that was that's something that probably hasn't been talked about a lot in, in how the style has changed. Yeah, no, that's a great point too, because yeah, you you see it on both ends of the spectrum where like big dudes are doing crazy flips and all that stuff, which is impressive, but then you also have the little dudes doing stuff too. It's like very much outside the realm. That's why I love it when the big dudes fuck up. I don't love it, but I but I think it's funny because it's like that they try and give the impression that anybody can do everything and everyone's got the same athletic abilities and talents and they they don't, you know. No. And if you stay in your comfortable realm, then it's better. He used to tell me that Sabu um about Vader. When Vader would do the moonsaw, he'd say that's not right. He shouldn't do that. That's out of his realm. He should, you know, save that move for the other guys. And that's just that's just the philosophy that Sabu passed on to me, which, you know, which which I always had. You know, I could gorilla press more than my body weight, um, but I only would, did it a few times, like in ECW. I do it with Spike or Little Guido. I did it with Jerry Lynn and Scotty Anton, just because you know they'd seen me do it a few times. But but it wasn't going to be something where I wanted to be known as the guy in the gorilla press because at 235 pounds, that didn't used to make you the biggest wrestler. Right. No. And what I think that also adds to things is like it just shows different styles of different wrestlers. So it's like boom, you know, like you're going up against um, like a Vader who says he doesn't do if say if he didn't do this stuff it would make sense that you're doing these moonsaults and stuff like that yeah. against a bigger dude and like wouldn't it be weird if i was power bombing vader and he was doing uh, moonsaults yeah. <laughs> yeah it'd be really fucking yeah, yeah. i don't want to see that match no i don't either 
All right, here's a. I'll, we'll wrap it up with this one. This is a. So okay, money's on the table. It's there. Jada on Twitter asks, "Would you ever consider now the wrestling authority figure is kind of out of the realm of things now? I think, but would you ever consider doing like a general manager or authority figure role if the money was right?" Um, I would consider it, you know, um, my first thought is that like, I, I'm really not comfortable in a suit. So I would hope that they didn't want me in a suit. No suit is involved. You dress as RVD wants to dress. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd be interested in, in, uh, hearing the idea and how, how, how that would work, you know? Why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah it kind like, of like things a little bit. It'd be. I wouldn't really want to be uh, in a suit, though. Like, I don't. I, I don't think I ever pull off that I'm comfortable. You know, like it's just me. You know what I mean? Like some people look look great in a suit. Suit. They look like they're made for it. And uh, for me, you know, I mean, that's something. If I had to, I could get used to. Like, if I had no other choice and I had to get a job for my family something like that but that'll never happen because I'm RVD right you know. <laughs> you're good man <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I mean maybe yeah why not all right cool Could be fun. sweet all right so I'm intrigued you got me you got my interest peaked on this uh, week's RVDology I will make the notes of what I learned from last week with the image I was very kind of focused on how not necessarily like guarded on what I would say, but definitely conscientious of like, hey, this is what people will think of me or maybe the image that somebody will get of me if I'm like either first meeting somebody. And I really factored that in on like even social media. There was times where I was like, man, I could really want to tweet something that I want to say something else like that. But is it really worth it? And in the grand scheme of things, what will people get off of it? And what will I get off of it? And so it gave me some pause just to kind of think throughout the week in, in like actual interaction with the people or through the social media aspect of things. So nice, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. nice. So cool, man. All right. Hey, Rob. As, yeah. as always, I'm uh, glad to inspire in a positive way. You know, we learn from uh, <clears throat> two ways. We learn from our own experience and we learn from other people's experience. I have a lot of experience. I've learned a lot. And I'm happy to share it to those who are interested. Um, I have a set of values that are so important to me that I use these as the principles and the foundation behind who I am. So if you're uh, if you, if you disagree with something that I say, you know that's that's fine. You do you. There's a lot of things that I do that are different. And I believe in reprogramming yourself as an adult. I think it's important. Not enough people do it. And then they use an excuse. Well, I was just raised that way to fuck up and, and be assholes and, 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 do, and do whatever they want. And, uh, and really add a bunch of toxicity to our society. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Um, so, uh, you know, one of these one of these uh, values that I that uh, I want to talk about. We talked about it all, all day already. You know, like um, this dude on Twitter said, "It's obvious you were talking about marijuana." How? 
what he did wrong was he assumed, okay? Whenever you assume you're living in an unproven reality, facts, okay? That's what an assumption is. Sometimes you kind of have to, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, if it, sometimes when you put that foot forward, you kind of have to assume it's going to land on something, but you can limit the amount of assuming that you do and it will make you right a lot more often. And uh, it's, it's very much just like uh, knowing what you don't know. See, people don't know that they don't know 95% of what's around something. So, but what do they do? They assume they fill in the blanks and then uh, they take a big chance of being wrong. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Like um, when I'm flying, sometimes promoters will buy me a ticket, uh, uh, an airplane ticket. And they'll say, dude, I got you in the aisle in the exit row, so you got plenty of leg room. They're assuming that that's my preference. But truth be told, I hate sitting in the aisle because all day I get this. <laughs> <laughs> well, bam, only on one shoulder, but I don't know which one's in the aisle here. I'm trying to look at it. But bam, every time they come, they, someone comes through with a cart, someone walks by, I go to the bathroom, they hit me with their ass. Uh, my shoulders are wide enough to where I'm a target sitting there. I'm not going to get any rest. And when it comes to extra leg room in the uh, exit aisle, that's a work. You can't even recline your chairs uh, depending on which row. If you're in front of the exit row, no way. If you're at the exit row, you might be able to recline it. Probably no way. And you damn sure can't put anything by your legs. I carry a little bag that I put right behind my calves that doesn't bother anybody. And I reach through it throughout my whole flight. Here's my Kindle. Here's my earplugs. Here's my shades. Here's my breath mitts. Here's my neck pillow. I have it right there. I fly a lot. Those are my habits. So when someone hooks me up, sometimes just by assuming they can actually uh, make it even worse for me. And that can happen. That can happen uh, anywhere. You know, I've had promoters book me hotel rooms and say, hey, bro, I got you a smoking room. I cannot stand being around cigarette smoke. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, um, it, 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 my lungs, the, the best way I can describe it, I get a headache, but also, like, my lungs reject it. Like, I feel like, like when I try to breathe, if you're standing next to me smoking a cigarette and you're too close, like, they lock up, like, reject, like, I can't take it in. It's, and it hurts, you know, breathing that in. People that don't understand the difference between uh, marijuana smoke and cigarette smoke, well, they wouldn't get that, you know. Um, I said something on Twitter recently about uh, about my lungs being uh, being in fantastic shape. And some basic thinker responded like, I find it hard to believe your lungs don't have any damage because you've been smoking marijuana for a long time. What? Like, I, first off, I've never seen any evidence that marijuana smoke causes any kind of lung damage. But second of all, is it just this guy or are there people out there that just automatically assume that their lungs are better than mine? Like, <laughs> like do we got to run a race? Uh, do I hold our breath underwater? Uh, 
I don't know. That's just so weird to me that somebody would assume that. And again, assuming is taking something and considering it fact, even though it could be complete bullshit. It's not a good practice to do. Um, in fact, I always take uh, good care of my health and check up on it. And yes, I did get my lungs scanned like two weeks ago, not because I was having any issues, because I wanted to look at them. And unfortunately, I couldn't get as much info as I wanted. Like I wanted them to age, guess an age on my lungs and all this. All I got as the report was they looked good and there was no signs of uh, any problems for a non-smoker. Because, of course, I told them I don't smoke. Now, if some people find that hard to believe uh, because their minds are so closed that they can't take in information, then they belong in the basic thinker category. And not assuming is one of the four agreements of life. Are you familiar with that book by any chance? Yeah, uh I am familiar with it. I haven't read it. I love The Four Agreements. It's a real simple book of reprogramming yourself as an adult um, with these four things in mind. One, don't take it personally. Two, don't assume. Uh, three is to be, um, I use the word, impeccable with your word. Mm -hmm. All right. And that means like what you say has a lot of power. You know, you can make people or break people. You can bring them down. You can hurt their feelings, which a lot of people want to do on Twitter. Like they say things and they're hoping to make you less happy because they're in touch with a really shitty person inside of them, whether they know it or not. Check yourself. If you type things to people because you want them to feel less good about themselves because their happiness bothers you. Eh, that, that's pretty shitty. And the fourth agreement is just to always do your best. So if you're not familiar, it's a great book. And, and that's what I'm talking about is, is you don't assume. Okay. I want to tell you about a really uncomfortable, awkward, shy kid in a room full of wrestling veterans. All right. All right. Say this is 1994, I think. 93 or 94. 94 would make more sense. Maybe even 95, but I don't think so. People think of um, people being the same age. You know what I mean? I saw Joe Rogan looking at a picture of Vince McMahon. This is when Undertaker was on there. He's looking at a picture of Vince McMahon, and he's talking to Undertaker. And he's going, wait. He's 76 years old. Oh, my God, look at him. But they were looking at a picture that I think was 20 years old from us. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, people don't think about the, uh, the, the, the growing of the individual or whatever. People uh, think that uh, this RVD was in a dressing room in 93 no, I was such a shy, awkward kid that I was in the uh, dressing room with all Japan, right? Mm -hmm. This was um, this was during the uh, H-bombing days. Uh, this was during the days when uh, I was breaking into a whole new world, fresh kid that hadn't had any drama in my life, you know, very not grown up. And I'm sitting in the room with uh, the the hoods of all Japan, which would have been Dr. Death Steve Williams. Uh, did he come up earlier? Yeah, yeah, we mentioned him earlier. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I, I told you this is the show is a vibe all the way through, man. All like I always say, all in nonfiction connects. That's why I love it. It's all real. It's all big web of energy. Steve Williams, Gary Albright, Danny Crawford, um, Johnny Smith, uh, maybe Jackie Fulton might have been in the room. Um, anyway. Mostly Albright and Williams talking like they're two pirates that have that have boated across around the world 18 times, you know. I, I'm like someone out of high school, <laughs> like 22 years old, probably, um, like just left the nest very insecure and here's these wrestlers talking about yeah remember that time we were at that bar in germany and we had to fight those russian mobsters oh my god yeah he had that gun and blah 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 and i'm like i i want a spelling bee <laughs> got that done i was so awkward and so uncomfortable that Dr. Death Steve Williams one time said to me, Rob, you're, you're kind of slow, aren't you? And they all laughed at me. And I realized Steve Williams thinks that I'm remedial. Like I'm so such an introvert and so shy. And all I do is grab that pipe when it comes around, because that's all that made me feel adequate was smoking that hash and, and being in that circle, I didn't have the stories to tell. I didn't feel secure enough to even get respect from these guys with all their adventures and stuff. And Steve Williams thought that I was slow, as in a slow learner, special ed, legitimately. Yeah. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, my second grade teacher thought I was academically gifted. She wanted me to skip a grade. This guy thinks just because of the way that I act, because the image that I'm putting out there. And, and I, I was like, no, <laughs> why do you say that? <laughs> you know, and, and Steve was like, <laughs> yeah, I think you're kind of slow. <laughs> oh my God. And he was like, Steve said this to me. He said, I, I would love to see Rob when he's 35. <laughs> well, I thought about that a lot. You know, um, was Steve Williams still alive when I was 35? I don't know. He died quite a while ago. And I know he didn't make it to see me uh, much past that, if that. Yeah. And and I still think, wow, because of the way I acted, like he really, he assumed that like I was special. I got to know him later on, you know, once I came out of my shell. And really the only thing that made me feel comfortable and adequate around those people was the the cannabis, you know, like uh, whether I was in Japan or in ECW when I started out and couldn't do promos or whatever, you know, uh, it, 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 it inspires adequacy. And that's one of the factors of cannabis that people um, who are able to can use it responsibly. And if you think about it, you probably, you know, people listening, you probably noticed that it makes everything all right. It makes, okay, everything's cool. Now all the stuff I was worrying about, 
it's not that big of a deal. You know what? I'm going to get to it, and I'll do it after this. All right, cool. That's one of the things it does. And um, when you assume, this is really old, but a lot of these woke young kids nowadays, I know they don't get history. So if you're not familiar with this, here's an easy way for you to remember not ever, ever to assume if you can help it. Uh, instead, tell yourself you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing, you know, like, um, wow, look at that guy. He's wasted, huh? I don't know. I don't want to assume. I mean, the guy could be handicapped if you're talking about the way he's walking. I don't know. Um, look at the word. I didn't make this up. I'm not taking credit for it. But if you're not familiar, look at look at the word. Assume, all right? Uh, assume. Don't do it because you make an ass out of you and me. Boom. Bam. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people do a lot of the assuming on Twitter. All day. All day. And we all do. Like I said, you have to sometimes to an extent. Yeah. You can say that you are presuming, which, you know, in tight, it makes it sound like you got like a little more information behind this assumption, I presume. But really, you know, like if you're conscious of it, man, it can get you in a lot of trouble and you don't want to be in a different dimension that's um, that's unknown. So just stick with what you know and just admit that you don't know uh, what you don't know and don't assume that you do know. That girl, assuming that me and Tommy drugged girls just because, uh, what was her quote? That, that it was commonplace. Oh. That I said it was commonplace. So you're going to assume that we did it? Like, Dude, that could have gotten us in trouble. And what if she was a cop? We'd be in jail, you know? Cops that assume that uh, the person is, is, a, is a criminal, you know, or make them into a criminal or whatever. So anyway, it's pretty serious stuff. Like I said, it's one of the four agreements that you make with yourself if you reprogram uh, according to the book. I'll help you along if you want to, if you want RVD to uh, help you reprogram yourself this way. That's right. That's right. And that Four Agreements book, it's not a big book. So it's like, it's very readable and digestible. Like, and there's a study guide and there's a sequel to it too, by the way. Uh, maybe two sequels. And by the way, I'm not suggesting cannabis is for everybody. I'm just saying that was my story. And uh, so if you're one of those people that when you think of the word weed, your mind goes, drug addict, then you have no idea how ridiculous you seem to us. Yeah. What does yeah. that mean to you? Mm -hmm. If that means to you that you smoke that I smoke weed, I know I smoke weed. I don't hide it. You're not hurting me. Are you trying to hurt me? <laughs> right. What? Put their own impressions on you. That's it. You know. So, but but anyway, um, shouldn't assume. Uh, and you get the point. It's been another good show, dude. So, you know, um, I don't want to assume we're gonna do this again uh, next week, but uh, I sure hope we will. I'm sure so. I sure do <laughs> too, Rob. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, so yeah, you can follow Rob on Twitter at the Real RVD. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dominic D'Angelo. If you're watching us, and if you've been watching this the whole time, you've been watching it on the Premier Streaming Network, you can catch only the full episodes video-wise on the Premier Streaming Network every Friday at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to watchonpremier.com. But hey, you know, if you just want to listen to us, you can do that at 
the one of a kind, uh, wherever your podcast listening option of choice is. Can I add something? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. You know, we, we, we talked about spreading love and how we just hit like, you know, like when I'm on Instagram uh, or on YouTube, when I'm on YouTube, both of them, but especially YouTube, I hit the like before I watch the video so that I don't forget. But just because I liked your comment or your video, don't assume that that meant that I was behind it because people say stuff I don't agree with all the time. You know what I mean? And I'll, yeah. and I'll just click the heart and I'll say, well, I appreciate them entering their conversation or, or something like that. You know, that I do that all the time. And here's something that some people might not be happy to, uh, to learn. There's a lot of ways that make me different, you know, and I've put lists of them out on Twitter. One of them, I look at Instagram with the sound off that the music and all that stuff annoys me. And so like some people, um, and Twitter even that's I usually have the sound off on that. So some people like Dino that he plays his guitar, sends videos of it. I just hit like, you know, it's on like, 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 like. So don't assume uh, that I watched your video or listened to you ramble on or, or heard what you had to say just because I liked your comment. It just meant that uh, you got my support. That's right. And you know what, Rob? I do the same thing on Twitter. I don't have – so I have the sound typically off. I change the options where the videos don't play either. Like it's just yeah. – if I want to watch it, I'll watch it, you know? And we'll, I don't want to deal with all that stuff. So Fair enough. I get inundated with a lot of stuff. But, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. it's, Don't assume, guys. But, hey, yeah. we hope we, – I, I don't want to assume that you guys are going to tune into us next week, but I hope you do. So <laughs> we'll see you next week here. Right here. One of the – Yeah. <laughs>